Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And today I have a delightful conversation with just a remarkable human being, but one of the all-time great athletes to come into the sport in this last few years, Taylor Nibb. She's probably the fastest rising athlete of 2021, starting the year by qualifying for the Olympic Games and then having just an incredible string of races through the middle of the year, which has her finishing second in the ITU World Series and now currently ranked fourth in the world on the PTO Championships. Just an incredible athlete. Her story into the sport is fascinating. She actually never really did anything else but train for triathlon since she was about three, four or five. Uh, her mum was an athlete and she just would they would do runs and swims and bikes with each other on the weekends and that's what they did. They didn't know anything else different. So probably my first guest ever that has said that she basically was born doing the sport of triathlon. Just absolutely fascinating. We start the show with some really fun rapid fire questions and then we get a little bit deeper into her mindset and her team and the impact of the Olympics and, and the events uh, that followed on her life and, and how her life has changed because of it. Just a really great episode. I'm a huge fan of Taylor and uh, I think you will be at the end of this one as well. Before we go on, I want to thank you so much for listening and sharing the show. Please, if you can, share it on your social channels. That really just helps the show grow. Um, and also, please keep that feedback coming. I've had some really fantastic feedback that I do listen to and I do implement, so I appreciate that. Keep it coming. And finally, if you would, uh, support the show's partner, uh, Athletic Brewing. They're just absolutely brilliant company wonderful non-alcoholic beer that i i enjoy daily so go check them out and i hope you enjoy taylor as much as i did remember success comes to those who endure one moment longer this episode is brought to you by athletic brewing Anyone will tell you that I'm someone who loves to have a beer and there's always a beer in the fridge for me and or guests that pop in. But with kids, my work and just my overall health, I, I, I can't and I don't drink often. I can't afford to not be on my game and, and I simply don't like the foggy feeling I get by drinking alcohol. So I've tried non-alcoholic beers, but I guess I'm a bit of a beer snob because none of them have measured up to a real craft beer experience that I like. But now with Athletic Brewing, I can have a high quality, just flavorful and award-winning craft beer and it's only 50 to 70 calories per can and these beers just, they fit into any occasion so I don't have to compromise on my social life or choose between having a great beer and, and just keeping my clarity. So go ahead and check them out at athleticbrewing.com. That's athleticbrewing.com or you can find them at your local liquor store or bottle shop. And I'll let you know, I'll be having one every single episode I record. They're that good. All right, the future has arrived and it's arrived with a bang. My guest today is 23 and has already taken the world by storm. Her win at the WTS Yokohama event at the start of 2021 earned her an Olympic spot for the US team in Tokyo. And in Tokyo, her performance in the mixed relay was one of the most powerful performances of the day, earning herself and her team the silver medal. A few weeks after the Games, she went on a stampede. She placed second at the Boulder 70.3, second at WTS Montreal, won the WTS Grand Final in Edmonton, then smashed the incredible field at the Collins Cup in San Marin, Slovakia on a road bike with the fastest time by over three minutes, and then wrapped it up by finishing third at the Ironman 70.3 World Championships. 
Add to that her junior and under-23 world titles, and wow, the future is truly here. Her current PTO world ranking is fourth in the world, and that ranking does not include the Olympics or the World Series events that she did so well in. On top of all of that, she's one of the sweetest, most down-to-earth women I've had the pleasure of meeting and getting to know. So welcome, and thank you for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show, Taylor Nib. How are you? Well, well, thanks for the introduction. <laughs> thanks for having me. Oh, you are more than welcome. Did I miss anything in that introduction? You've been just on such a whirlwind in 2021. It's been outstanding. Yeah, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I lost myself. I feel like you reminded me of things. I feel like because of the Collins Cup, like Edmonton kind of just got wiped away. But <laughs> it, it is what it is. Does that when, you know, when I read that back to you, I mean, how does it make you feel when you hear such an incredible, well, last six months, really? I mean, how does that actually feel when you hear that resume you read back? I feel like I'm still digesting it. And when I hear it read back, I'm like, oh, like looking at all the places where I could have been better, like at the Olympics. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, that's like the harsh critic. I feel like most athletes and people are so. I hear, I don't hear about like good things. I hear more of like the areas where they weren't the best. So that's probably not the best thing, but that is what I hear. You're such an athlete. It's always like (laughs) you've had such an incredible year, but you know what? My Olympics could have been better. By the way, you were 16th. It wasn't terrible. I mean, I know you had a higher wanting to do more there, but honestly, you still walked away with a medal. Team USA and that mixed relay were all outstanding. The whole team were just brilliant. Did you find that Olympics, the camaraderie, it seemed to me Team USA really had an amazing team spirit. Was it like that for you? Yes, and I think that actually one of the really neat things about it was the fact that we didn't have any fans or any foreign or any spectators. Mm. So as a team, I felt like we became more of a team because like my family wasn't there and neither were any of the other athletes. So we do pretty much everything together. And that's something that I'm not sure we'll ever get again. Like, I'm not sure if that was your experience when you went to the Olympics, like did your family go and did you spend time with them or did you really get to know the other Australians. It's, it's funny you mentioned that. Laura and I were both talking about our Olympic experiences just the other night with, with, with friends. And uh, for her, London was a bit of a tough Olympics because she had all her family there and my family there. And everybody kind of wants a piece, right? Everybody, oh, what are you doing? What are you up to? Maybe we can catch up over here or catch up over there. And it can be kind of stressful because you're trying to focus on one job one task that you've been preparing for for years and all of a sudden you get there and everybody's kind of everybody wants to be there they've all been a part of the journey but they all kind of will maybe we can catch up for lunch or dinner or coffee or those little things can kind of chip away at you a little bit and i by no means am putting down our families and friends that all want to hang out with us but it is something that does add to decision making leading into the games you know you you have this enormous anxiety already and then you're just like oh i don't want to have to make a decision on where we make where we're meeting for dinner or whatever you know and so i get what you're saying that to have the freedom to focus on being a team together without all of that outside influence it probably helped you really focus in that's an interesting way of putting it because i think when you look at future olympics for yourself being that they happen uh, hopefully. Pa- yeah hopefully um i i would say you know that that could be very very different but the the covid tokyo olympics 
really did make it, you know, without the crowds. It, it was different. But I, I also want to just talk about the fact that just over a year ago, probably mid last year, you reached out to me actually and said, Greg, I'm listening to your show and do you think I could chat and pick your brains a little bit? We had a lovely conversation and I went home to Laura and I said, she's the real deal. This one's the real deal. And I don't mean to make you feel uncomfortable by saying this, but what I mean by it was I felt like you knew who you were and, and you knew what you wanted and I, I really feel, felt like you're in control of your own life. And there are big three things when you're trying to find out if somebody's going to be successful. You remember that chat? I do, and I'm grateful that you took the time to talk with me. I feel like that says more about you than me, but <laughs> I really appreciated that. So for me, like coming up, like I came up as a junior, but then like I graduated college and it's kind of like, okay, now what? There's no manual. And that's what I've been like, that's what I've lived my whole life off of. Like, okay, you go from this grade to this grade and then you do this thing and this thing. And then for me, like I got out into the world of triathlon and first of all, there were no races last year, but also it's kind of like, okay, what do you do? <laughs> so you just ask, like, I guess I thought, okay, I'll ask people who've gone through it before. And if they're kind enough to take their time and help me out a little bit, I really appreciate that. But it's, it's a little bit of a scary world to walk into. So I'm grateful the last like year and a half has gone or a year or six months of racing has gone well, but like just the transition to like go full time was intimidating to me. Mm. And, and I remember in that conversation, you were deciding, you know, do you move to Colorado and, you know, which coach should you go to? And there were some big decisions um, and you were ready to make them. You're happy with all the decisions? I mean, looking at the, the scoreboard, you'd, you'd say probably yes, but I want to hear your thoughts. Oh, I'm extremely grateful. So I moved to Boulder and I absolutely love it here. Although I feel like I still don't really know everything about Boulder. I mean, I know Left Hand Canyon so well, but <laughs> I don't think I've ridden up Flagstaff once, so people <laughs> can judge. I'm liking having a home base, and I'm liking having a really solid group of people around me, both people who I train with, and then also people who I feel like are a member of like my team and really support me and help me. Mm. So I'm really grateful for how everything has turned out. And I'm looking forward to the future. Uh, it's funny you talk about that because when I was doing a lot of my training and, and I was kind of focused on the short course, I basically rarely left Left Hand Canyon that you speak of. <laughs> I sometimes went down to South St. Vrain when I was doing my longer loop to Lyons and up, up that canyon. But I kind of didn't almost leave Boulder County. And all, everybody else in town was an Ironman or, you know, longer type athlete that were doing all these monster rides. And I really didn't get to see Boulder and, and, and its biggest surrounding areas and, and the Colorado Rockies probably until my last couple of years as a professional living there. So there's plenty of time for you to check it all out. I get that, you know, your repeats and your interval type work is all going to be pretty close to home. And that's that's how I operated as well. But what I'd like to do today is is just get to know you a little bit better and um, and then, you know, and discuss your recent events you know, of this year. But to warm up, I thought we'd put the rapid fire questions early in this in this oh, episode. <laughs> How do you feel about that? <laughs> well, good. I'll get them out of the way. Uh, no, I like I like moving these around. I find these really fun for me. Here we go. What's something new happening in your life right now? Well, this week, I don't have structured training, so that's really, really new. Good, good um, answer. It's <laughs> <laughs> not really interesting, but... That's all right. No, it's, I just said something new. I didn't say it had to be interesting. All right. What are you currently watching on Netflix or any streaming service? Ooh, I feel like I'm in the like middle of a number of things. I So, I 
I'm a huge fan of Graves Anatomy, so I will always be watching that. I actually didn't watch it last year because I was afraid it was going to be the last season, but I'm just always a fan of Grey's Anatomy. And then I really haven't been watching too much recently. So Grey's Anatomy is still going? <laughs> I had no idea. I think I watched the first five or six seasons with Laura, and that was back in the 80s. No, <laughs> wow. What season are they up to? 18, I think. Oh, it seriously, it has been going a long time. Yeah, I think Laura and I were watching that, yeah, 15 years ago. Okay. Yeah. And go. I watch every episode, so <laughs> it's, it's the one show that I kept up with through college. Is uh, McDreamy on it? Was that his name? McDreamy? I can't remember. Patrick Dempsey? Yes. No, unfortunately he's not, but sorry for any spoilers <laughs> for anyone. <laughs> All right. Well, I must have left when he left. Anyway, okay. First car you owned? I don't think I, I have. I still haven't technically owned a car. I'm have, 23. Do you have a license? I do have a license, huh. but... <laughs> I don't own the car. <laughs> okay. So, how are you getting around Boulder? Well, I'm using a car, but it's technically my father's, so that sounds horrible. Fair enough. That doesn't sound horrible. I think he's going to be looking forward to when you buy him a car soon with all your success. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I don't think. Yes, and we'll if there's, see. And if there's any car sponsors listening to this show, maybe you could help out Taylor have her first car. And you've already answered this one, but let's do it again because I like to hear it. How many episodes of The Greg Bennett Show have you listened to? Ooh, so I haven't listened to everyone now, but I'm guessing I've listened to 80 to 90%. Wow. I've actually talked about you in a couple of episodes. Did you pick up on that a few times? Well, you tag me in them on Instagram so that I know that I'm in them and I'm not sure I want to listen to them. (laughs) (laughs) Because, like, I don't love, like, hearing about myself and... Like, I will not be listening to this episode, I'm sorry, but I just can't hear myself speak. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know if it's as painful for everyone else to listen to me as it is for me, or it's just like hearing yourself, but I couldn't listen to myself speak. It's just, well, I could if, you ha- if I had to, but it's not something that I like enjoy doing all day. You no, do realize I- that we're all the same. There's nobody that actually loves to listen to yourself. It's like, even when I look, I'm like, oh, turn it up to two times the speed. My goodness. <laughs> I'm sure there is someone in the world who loves it. And yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I'm actually getting used to hearing my own voice, which you kind of just get over it after a while. You're like, okay, this is how I sound. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep talking. All right, let's move on. Two most used apps on your phone. Oh, <laughs> probably the like messaging app. So the green like iMessage mm-hmm. and then either um, like some sort of web browser probably, yeah. mail and then training peaks. Wow. So no social media at the top of all of that? No. I mean, I think I've posted 14 times. Like I, it's just not my favorite place to go. I actually, I think I have Instagram, but I don't have any of the other apps on my phone. <laughs> if I go on them, I will go on them either on a like computer or yeah, it's just not... Not a priority, but maybe it should be. Yeah, no, you got a little bit more going on in your life. I don't think that needs to be a priority by any means. Um, I think most people are trying to stop themselves looking at social media. All right, your favorite cake flavors. If I Ooh. said you have to have a cake right now, what, what would you want to eat? Well, any cake sounds really good right now, <laughs> but <laughs> I, 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 I will admit, so when I came back to Boulder just recently, this isn't cake, but have you ever been to the cookie store Crumble? Within the first 44 hours of returning from Abu Dhabi, I had seven crumble cookies. Um, 
but <laughs> they're huge cookies. Anyway, love sweets, but it would probably actually be vanilla with some sort of like buttercream frosting for a cake. Uh, so you, very plain, but you and Laura would hit it off on both fronts. <laughs> She's uh, right in the cookies with all the crumbles. So yes, and all the icing that goes with the cake. Okay, what is your last Google search? Last thing you put in Google and you searched, what was it? Oh, well, today was probably the weather. That was... <laughs> Fair enough. Was, this time yeah, of year, the weather's changing. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, except for the fact in Boulder, I feel like the most valuable weather app is just looking out the window, which seems counterintuitive, but like I'll look at my weather app and it says sunny, and then it's like literally pouring rain outside. I'm like, there's something that's wrong, but... So, yeah, but Boulder, I, it can be that it can absolutely be a storm that you're oh, okay. I'm never going outside again. And literally 30 <laughs> minutes later, that storm is gone and the roads are completely dry. You know, and yeah. you're like, oh, I guess I am going for that three hour bike that I thought I didn't have to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What time of day are you most productive? Ooh. I think that changes depending on my sleep schedule. Yeah, and it depends on what kind of productivity. Like, if you wanted me to do, like, chores around the house, that's a different time of day behind, like, any sort of deep work or, like, reading versus, like, physical activity. So it just depends on the thing. Definitely not in, like, a 3 to 5 p.m. range, but then most other times of the day, I'm fairly productive. <laughs> so, so don't ask you to do anything between 3 and 5 p.m., right? No, I'd actually, I, I'd always, I learned that in college and I'd put myself in a lecture during that time because um, I knew I wouldn't get a lot of work done or I wouldn't be good in a seminar during that time. So then if I was in a lecture, at least I was like doing something productive. Like, and that's how I picked my schedule. But, and then, yeah, I just, I learned that I wouldn't get a lot of work done during that time. <laughs> I told, I said at the top of the show, you know yourself very well. And that's what what impressed me. There's most people wouldn't identify that as a time that they don't want to be, you know, having to use their, overusing their brain to be too productive and, and sitting in a lecture is, is a way for you to decompress a little bit. It's just setting up the environment for success more so because I'm kind of forced to do something. And so that's like, that's what helps me. It's like less like motivation and more like, okay, you just have to do it. So you're going to do it. That's <laughs> <laughs> <sounds> horrible. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. First job. My first job. Well, technically triathlon. That's a good answer. We'll take it. Yes. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Laura was the same. Ashley Gentle was the same. Actually, Ashley Gentle said she hers was running. When she was 14, 15, she just started doing running races and her brothers were working at different McDonald's or whatever else and she'd go do fun runs and pick up a couple hundred bucks every weekend. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so there we go. Uh, so you're not alone. All right, pick one mixed relay, sprint distance triathlon, Olympic distance, Olympic distance, non-drafting, or, or, or drafting, pick one of those two, or 70.3, which is your favorite race to do? Do I have to, like, if I pick this race saying it's my favorite, is that what I have to do for, like, the rest of my life? Or is it just, because <laughs> oh, yeah. they're also different, but they're fun in their differences. So you love them all. Well, so I actually, I don't think I've ever done a non-draft Olympic distance, like, as an elite. But yeah, I like the different distances and I like the different challenges that they bring. Because, like, actually... Just this past weekend, I raced in Abu Dhabi, mm. the WTS race, and that was a sprint. And that's, like, fun in a different sense, but, like, part of me was like, this is awesome. And another part was like, I wish we had, like, a few more laps of this. <laughs> <laughs> but then, yeah, like, they're just so, like, I enjoy the differences, and then I enjoy 
bringing them together mm. we'll see how it works next year no i think i think that's a great answer and um and by the way you did finish fifth this past weekend in, in a sprint distance you know you happy with that yeah it's it's good it's not great which i'm hoping that's actually a better way for me to enter the off season mm. than if it was like a race that i'm very happy with because <laughs> i think that then it's kind of like it just like it exposes me raw in a certain sense like mm. it, i'm wide open no i have a ton to work on and i like that mm. um but that's <laughs> probably not the answer yes i would have loved to have done better but i also appreciate that it was a good race and it will hopefully i'm going to try to use it to help me as much as i can over the next few months you know i i, I think it's been an outstanding year which we'll go into in a little bit but you know i think like you said finishing in fifth it gives you that little bit of hunger that the you know okay what else can I improve upon in going into the off-season? I think that's a great thing to have. Next one. Was the decision to go to a specific university difficult? And tell us about the university you chose. So I went to Cornell University. I did not want to go there because I was the ended up being the 10th person in my family to go there. So I was kind of like, what? yeah, I don't want to go there. I want to go anywhere else. Um, my brother's now there, so he's the 11th. It kept pulling me back for some reason my number one rule was my mom's like, you have to apply the broken leg rule, which is like, could you be happy at this if you could not do any sport? And I'm like, yeah, I could be happy here. But I was also, I could run there, which a lot of schools, like they, a lot of coaches wouldn't even talk to me because I did triathlon. I didn't have any like of the track times and I've done some cross country races, but they're like, those don't count. You need track times. And I'm like, okay, well, like, can you look at, here are my triathlon results. Here are my cross-country results. Can we take anything from this information? So a coach, like the running coach at Cornell was like, you know what? I'm willing to try it. Like, I think like you could potentially be a good runner. So that's like part of the reason I went there. So it, there were a lot of factors. And I, and I waited till like the last, pretty much the last minute to make the decision. I think I had until April 30th to make the decision. And I decided on like April 28th or April 29th. What were so. your other options? What were you looking at otherwise? So I was looking, so like my last two choices was I was either going to go to Columbia or Cornell, but like earlier on in the process, I was really interested in going to Williams, which is a small liberal arts college in Massachusetts because um, they're in the NESCAC. So I could have like swam and ran also, um, but I kind of went with my gut, which sounds horrible on the decision, but like I'm grateful for the decision I made. Yeah. I can't, I'm still stuck on the fact that there's 10, 10, now 11 from your family have gone to Cornell. So, okay, let's take us through it. Your parents or No, siblings? so it was, it's all on my mom's side. So my mom's parents met there. And then my mom's, was my great uncle, so my grandmother's brother went there. And then my mom and her three brothers went there. And then two of my cousins went there. And then I went there and my brother. Wow. The neat thing is that it's such a, it's a, it's a big school. Oh. And so therefore I think that everyone of the family members had a significantly different experience. And even my brother and I overlapped for two years. And it's not like I saw him very frequently. Mm. I think I ran into him at the grocery store once and maybe on campus once or twice. And then we like wouldn't like meet up. But if we didn't like plan to meet up, it wasn't like I was seeing him every day. Mm. Um, it's a big campus. It's a big school. And there's a lot going on. So I think that's was a benefit. Um, but and everyone has different experiences. 
Well, fantastic to you and all your family because I know Cornell, just to get into, is incredible. So to have 10 of you, though, is absolutely 11. So excuse me, is absolutely amazing. All right, let's get through this rapid fire. We've got a couple more here. Okay, really important one. Which decade of music is the best? Oh, I think it depends on the day for me. But I feel like I, I kind of go towards the 2010s. I'm not sure I'm, like, I understand the most recent music in the past like two to three years. But then like before that, I like most of the music. Fair enough. You're very political in your answers. You, <laughs> you kind of go, well, I, depending on the day and maybe I, I, I just want you to tell me. So the best 10 years of music ever from what, 2000 to 2010, you think, when you say the 10s or is that from the, the 10s to? 2010 to like 2019. All right. But I, I feel like I'm probably not the best judge. Like I, I feel like I should decide something like this. I'm not an expert That's in okay. any way. No, no, you don't need to be an expert. It's your world. Um, yeah, and, and what I listen to, yeah, I'll listen, yeah, but I'll listen to some 80s stuff or 90s stuff or even like the 2000s. So it really depends on the day. Of course, I get it, I get it. Look, I, I'll be in the car with the kids and I'll have the Archies playing with, you know, 1950s, 1960s. They know, you know, Sugar, Sugar, or some of those really great songs. And then I'll go do a workout with ACDC and then I get it. I get what you're saying. There's a, there's a time and place throughout the day for all kinds of music. All right. Let's That's keep- the thing. Like, are you training or are you just like spending time with people? Are you in the car alone? Do you That's have an, right. That- another audience? It's just, there's a lot. There, there's <laughs> a lot to that question. I guess the point is, is, if you were locked into a radio station forever that played a decade of music and you were trapped into that one, that's kind of the idea. But you don't have to answer that. <laughs> I, think we've, I think we've answered it enough. All right. If you could transform yourself into an, one animal, which one would you choose? Oh, these are really hard questions. Oh, it's not. Wow. Come on. Everybody knows what animal they want to be. You haven't thought about that? I enjoy being me, but <laughs> <laughs> most days. Um, but... You know, I think it'd be neat to be a dolphin. I'll say that. There you go. Very good. I was just thinking about that for myself. What do I want to be? And I think I'd be a hawk or an eagle. Oh. An eagle. I think I'd like to fly. Yeah. Okay. Fly would be neat. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Where is somewhere you haven't been you'd like to go? New Zealand. Oh, yeah. Great. Which oh. I feel like it's more and more apparent because, like, now you really, it's really hard to get there. Um, or like go there, so yeah. Well, if they ever <laughs> well, I hear something about that, I'm like, oh, I want to go there, but oh wait, I can't. Well, yeah, if they ever open up again, New Zealand's back on the radar. And finally, greatest movie of all time. So one of my favorite movies is Forrest Gump. That's yeah, I'll pick Forrest Gump. Great, great choice. I like that one too. Okay, what I want to do now is is we've we've warmed you up. We've got a little bit of an insight into your life. We've had a bit of fun with those rapid fire questions. Um, I do want to. Rewind the clock, which is not going to be terribly far for you. Some of the guests I have on have a lot more years to go back. But with you, I really just want to find out this story of how you got into triathlon um, and when did this sort of all start for you? When did you you find – I mean, the fact that you were picking your university knowing you wanted to be a triathlete, um, when did it all start and what was that like? So I did my first triathlon in 2009. That's the easy answer. And then – but that was like really for fun. And I'm realizing – I feel like what I considered normal growing up, I'm learning now, wasn't really normal. I grew up in a very active household and just like certain things that we did, like I'm learning like most kids don't do that. Like I was running with my, like my mom would like take my brother and I for a run when I was probably 
I don't know, three, four, five. <laughs> I don't know when I did my first road race, but I was really young. And it was just like kind of normal, like, oh, what do you do on the weekends? Or like, what do you do like just for fun? Like go for a run or go for a bike ride or, and I swam. Actually entering every sport initially was for the outfit. It, that sounds, <laughs> it sounds really weird, but like the deal, like that's what motivated me. Like that's what started swimming. I wanted this bathing suit and my mom's like, okay, well you have to do swim team. I'm like, okay, deal. I'll do that. And cause I wanted that bathing suit, but then I started, so I'd go watch my mom's races and eventually in 2009, I got to do a kid's race. And then the next year I wanted to do more. And it was just like, I kept just wanting to do more. And I feel like it just kind of taken me there, but that's a bad answer. Cause you're like, okay, <laughs> you just wanted to do more. And now it's brought you to doing it full time as your job. Um, there's a lot in between, but I'm really mm. not sure how it all pieced together. It was just always in you. I mean, you you said you went for runs with your mom and and your dad or, or your mom were they doing triathlon then you said yeah my mom was yes and my dad was really active too so I think he really stopped like he's done a few marathons he's like he still has the fastest marathon in our family <laughs> which he'll bring up um, <laughs> good on him what is it it's a 312 well done <laughs> so I I really want to do a marathon soon um, but I also don't because I don't really want to do one soon, but I'd love to just... Have the family yeah. record. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so, like, it was just, we were very active. And so, it was just kind of normal to go either watch a race or do a race. Mm. Um, I'm learning that's not what most people grew up with. I, I, and so, your mom, was she doing the Ironman type racing? What kind of triathlons was she doing? She was actually doing more, I think... Olympic distance, sprint races, 70.3s. Because she did her first Ironman in 2010 in Lake Placid. So I did my first triathlon before she did her first Ironman. Gotcha. Wow. And then was there a point in time where you thought, I'm actually reasonably good at this? Was it, you know, winning the World Junior Championships? Or was it before that that you started to go, hey, I'm actually, I go okay at this? Well, I'm not even sure like when I won the Junior World championship if I'm like oh wow I'm actually really good at this because like the fun thing about junior worlds for me was that then I got to watch the elite races in person <laughs> um so like the first time I got to see the BTS race in person was in 2014 and that was like my first junior worlds and I remember like it was just so neat and I like that was one of the best parts of the whole experience not the race but getting to watch the elites race um and so like just seeing like I didn't know how to compare myself to them or like what the jump was. Like I didn't, I don't think I made the correlation for some reason. I was just like, I was focused on my world of getting better racing the people who I was racing. And then like, that was a different world that I was completely inspired by, completely intrigued by. and was just a huge fan. Um, but <laughs> I'm not sure when the, when the bridge kind of formed. If you enjoy a beer but want to keep your clarity, stay in your game, then you have to try Athletic Brewing. I was just simply blown away by how good they taste. Just a true craft beer. Go check them out at athleticbrewing.com. That's athleticbrewing.com. You've really progressed through the system pretty quickly. You're under 23 world championships. Tell me about that one because that must have felt somewhat like, oh, I'm actually, I mean, which one had more impact on you, a, a junior or an under 23 world title? That's hard to say because I think that like each 
my two junior titles were very different, just kind of even the buildup in the year, like going into it. But then also in 2017, before Rotterdam, the junior worlds that mm. year, um, I got second at WTS Edmonton. And so I think that that was a lot because that was my third WTS race ever. I got second. <laughs> I broke away with Flora on the bike. So then in 2018, like going into Gold Coast, I felt like I really hadn't had a great race that whole year. And so that was just more about like executing a good race that I was happy with. And I felt like like that was more my challenge. But so like it, you can say like, yeah, it's quick, but then it's kind of tough when like your first WTS podium is in 2017 in your third WTS race. And then your next WTS podium is only in 2021 in like, I don't know, your 15th WTS race. Um, it just feels like that four years was a long time. Um, but <laughs> it isn't a long time, but it is. Yeah, I get that. You kind of, well, I found like going through those junior years, the consistency is harder to find. You know, it's like you, you don't have that big aerobic strength endurance base um and so you have these moments where you feel fantastic and depending on how the race pans out is is going to determine sort of your result at the end but for you you've have you always had this ability on the bike to do as much damage as you do because that seems to be i mean you're strong across the board but boy is that a weapon yeah uh, so actually in 2013 that was the first year i raced draft legal and i raced in the youth elite series in the United States, which is absolutely fantastic. I, in my second youth race, I broke away on the bike. That was kind of the first time I did it. And then the next race was nationals. And I had like really high hopes for that race. I crashed around the first corner like common theme, and I finished eighth. And then the next year, um, I was like already jumping up to a juniors. And one of the things was that there were, so one thing that happened was in 2013, Tamara Gorman from the U S won the junior world title. Mm. So then she was back racing in junior. So I could race, like I raced in the United States against the best junior female in the world at that time, which mm. was huge for me. But also there was another junior racing named Stephanie Jenks. And she, I think had the sophomore record for the 5k in the United States. Like I think she ran like a 16, 20 something wow. 5k as a sophomore in high school. Wow. So like I was racing her also, so like my run, I don't know if my run's even there today, um, but like just developing my run at that point, like I just kind of needed to use the bike as a weapon. So I definitely overrode a few races, but I kind of, I learned how to get away and stay away and that became more common for me. So mm -hmm. then to go to elite races was almost harder because it's like, okay, this is completely different because I'm riding with other people and it's just a whole different dynamic. When, when you saw sort of Flora do what she was just started to do sort of in that, what was it, 2015, 2016 and, yeah. and breaking away, did that, give, yeah. <laughs> did that give you your hope that was like, ah, I can do this in the, in the senior ranks as well? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure I even thought about the senior ranks at that point. Like I was just very impressed hmm. by that kind of racing. But also I think the best part was that like I had gotten all this feedback before like, oh wow, like whenever I do it, like, oh wow, that was so bold or something like that. And I'm like, no, it was just smart. Like I would have been not smart to just sit in the pack with these runners that are faster than me if I can outride them. So mm -hmm. like, I didn't see it as being bold in any sense. I'm like, that's just like way I can execute my best race. Mm. Um, <laughs> so then when she started doing it, like she made it very cool and almost acceptable to do at other levels. <laughs> mm, I love that. I think, I think we all enjoyed 
well, I've enjoyed watching the sport for the last 40 years, to be honest, and, and how it evolves and changes. And, you know, it goes from being a swim pack type race and runner's race to all of a sudden you have the likes of yourself and Flora that are now saying, hang on, we're going to make this bike really tough. And, and if you want to keep up with me, good luck. And, and I think that's made it really fun for us as fans to watch it uh, you know you get away can you stay away um how are you going to break away because it's not easy to ride somebody off your wheel is that well thought out actually let's touch on that is that thought out when you say i want to break away are you just riding them off your wheel or is there a tactical component no and i feel like sometimes it's really just luck of who happens to be on your wheel um, because let's say like if you're in a big group, there are some people who can definitely hold your wheel. Like I think we saw like in Abu Dhabi, like those other four women that I was in the lead bike group with, mm-hmm. they're they're incredible riders and also tactically savvy and they know where to position themselves. They know how to cover moves. Even like when I tried to make a break, I think on lap three, mm-hmm. I knew Flora wasn't taking an all out pull. And so she knows that too because other people like you can also like, other riders will know to like either hold back or not depending on like if they're going to get attacked and so just like that tactical savviness i guess for lack of a better term Mm -hmm. it it, so it can be lucky who's on your wheel the course can play a huge impact um and also like they're just i think there's so many factors and for every like breakaway i feel like i've had i feel like there are also a lot that i haven't (laughs) had um (laughs) but you don't remember those Mm -hmm. maybe i remember those but um, like even junior worlds in 2016, I came out really far behind out of the water, like 45 seconds over a 750 meter swim. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the first lap, I had gotten myself to the front and then I like took a turn quickly and I brought three girls with me. Cause that fourth girl, she didn't have a good gearing or anyway, like we dropped her and then we dropped the rest of like the 30 other women. And then I was away with three people. And for the next lap and a half, I was trying to get away. And finally I got away because we were coming out of 180 they both reached down, grabbed their water bottles, and I'm like, I've got to go. And I just went right then and there. But it's kind of like, so I guess it's like luck, timing, when knowing when to take advantage of opportunities and also creating opportunities. Yeah, I, I love it. That's a great answer um, because there's also preparedness involved. Like you've, you've trained it uh, mentally and physically to know that you're capable of doing it as well. There's a belief there. Now let's fast forward a little bit then. U.S. Olympic team trials, first trial back in 2019 on a shortened course. They shortened the the, the race uh, to a 5K run rather than a 10K run. Summer Rappaport uh, takes the first spot, right, um, for the team. One spot's gone, two are remaining. You spend the COVID year 2020 knowing that Yokohama – is the trial race or did they announce that late? Did you guys know when that second trial race was going to be? Well, I think it, yeah. So it was, I'm not sure exactly when we learned exactly when it was, but kind of like we got language through USAT, like all throughout like the year. Cause there was so much uncertainty. It was kind of like, okay, like you won't need to be prepared. Like you won't need to, we won't have a trial race and like before this date. And then they'd kind of move the date back and mm. continue to move the date back. Um, and then like they like said like yeah we can expect it to be in yokohama in 2021 i don't know when that was exactly formulated but i think like 
by November, December last year, I think we knew, maybe even like September, October, but um, yeah, so there was, there was plenty of time to think about it and overthink about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, so, so let's look at that race because what, was, what did you have to do? To, to go to the Olympics? Was it win? Was it podium? What, what? Yeah, so actually the men and the women had different criteria because Summer had qualified for the women, mm-hmm. but there was no male already qualified. So as a female, um, you had to be on the podium and the first American. Wow. So if another, who hasn't already qualified. Mm-hmm. So if Summer had finished first and I had finished second, I would have qualified. But if another American woman had won and I was second, I wouldn't have qualified. But if I was third, yeah. So there, mm-hmm. <laughs> you understand how it is. No, yeah, for sure. So it was, it was really on. And so your preparation for that race, knowing that basically you had to be first American and on the podium, which doesn't give you, you know, three spots on a podium is not a lot of room. In you and how you prepared for that was that all in Boulder? You'd moved out to Boulder. You found a new coach. Was that all in the winter training camp, or did you guys train somewhere else to get ready for Yokohama, which I imagine was still pretty warm in. Um, when was that? Are you going to, you, May. May, May, yeah. Yes. So actually, yes. So I moved out to Boulder on January 18th and I did not leave Boulder until I think May 10th when I flew out <laughs> to Yokohama. So that was the longest stint I'd ever spent at altitude. So like all, every, like the quintessential rule, like don't try anything new before race day. Um, that was the longest period of time I'd ever been at altitude. Um, I learned when I moved here, like, I feel like it was one of the first days, like one of the, one of the people I trained with is like, yeah, February and March are the snowiest months. I'm like, oh, great. This is good news. Um, <laughs> but I think that like, it really, I, I enjoyed just being like put, I, or my group went actually to a camp in Arizona for two weeks at the beginning of February, but I just stayed here. So that was, and that was like a choice I made. And I think it helped me. Um, unfortunately, eight weeks out from Yokohama, I was actually diagnosed with stress reactions in my shins. Mm. So then I took three weeks off of running and Yokohama was one of my first like work, like intense runs outside. So it could have gone either way. But I wonder if like, I kind of wonder like in retrospect, if that really helped my swoon bike mm-hmm. improve even more. So not that I'm going to try to do that every year, but it was a very mixed lead up. And I think that like the aim was for me was to execute a great race. Mm. And I kind of knew what I needed to do if I wanted to qualify for the team. But also the aim for the whole year was just to learn and improve and gain the most experiences I could. Um, Mm. So it wasn't like qualifying for the Olympics wasn't a be all end all goal, but like it was just like my coach and I understood that it was an opportunity that was part of this season. Do you think it took a bit of pressure off having that injury sort of, and, and then obviously you need to get healthy from that injury, but did it take some of the the pressure off, you know, as athletes, we, and especially young athletes, we can put a lot more anxiety and, and, and feeling and dealing with pressure. Did it help you kind of just take a deep breath and like you said, just kind of go, okay, just roll through this and get a consistent result? Well, I think like I was just grateful to be on the start line after it was my first race in 18 mm. months. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing it helped me in some ways because – it was just, I was, I was a lot more flexible with my training because it was just like, we're just trying to do the best we can. And so I just had to listen to my body, give my coach a lot of feedback. He called it using the force um, kind of to like figure out what to have me do. But I also think like my 2019 wasn't so impressive and I didn't race in 2020. So I think I really went in, like, I don't think I was on anyone's radar, Mm -hmm. um, to qualify like so that also helped me because it was like oh like 
we kind of remember her, but kind of not. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I, sometimes. Well, I, I remember I was so I was so excited to see you have a great race, especially as we had had conversations and and um, and and I did think the world of you when we had spoken, and I was like, it was just such a, a thrill to see you have a breakout performance. What I've enjoyed though since is it, it wasn't a fluke. This last six months, you you've backed it up. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's I'm not discrediting. I just mean a one-off race. Sometimes you can have it, and then it's kind of oh, she got away on the bike and and got that. But you backed it up consistently throughout this year. So you'd have to say that Boulder, your coaching and the way you're approaching things is definitely in the right direction. Who is your coach? What's his name? Ian O'Brien. That's right. Yeah. And, and so you have a nice squad there? Yes, yeah, so we have a great group. And it's a predominantly short course, but then, like, I did a lot of training this year with Jeannie Metzler. Mm-hmm. So, which in Boulder 70.3 and 70.3 Worlds, we were within 12 seconds of each other, which, like, if you looked at our, like, workouts, like, yes, we do a lot together, but we also, like, I know we don't do a lot together. So it's kind of like, how did we end up, like, 12 seconds apart in these, like, four hour plus races somehow. And you're not together throughout the race. That's the other part. You guys don't, yeah. <laughs> it's not like you're shoulder to shoulder for the four hours. It's just you, oh, I, I, I think I think you got Jeannie in, in Boulder and then she got you back in um, 70.3 Worlds. I think you got her in Collins Cup pretty well though too. So really you're 2-1. <laughs> like, I, we're not keeping score. Oh, we're not? Because- oh, I am. I've got it just in my diary here. Two, one. Okay, there we go. <laughs> no, because here's the thing. I mean, like, I feel like I would not have had the year I did without her. And, of course like, not. while I did, like, while I was lining up in Yokohama after, like, without 18, like, I hadn't raced in 18 months. Like, there's no way. Like, I, I saw her, the, I think, the week or two before she'd raced in St. George at like the, I think it was the regional championship and she had an awesome race. Like she swam, like it was just an awesome race all around, but like, and seeing like, okay, we're doing similar training. Like maybe I can have a good race too in Yokohama. Like maybe that's silly of me for thinking that, but I think that there's some sort of confidence you can have from seeing people who you train with do well and kind of, if you haven't raced in a while, Mm. but Maybe that's not a good strategy. No, it's, I think it's a great strategy. I think you, you surround yourself with the best. It's like you said earlier, you know, you were in the juniors, you were racing the best in the world every weekend. And and now, you know, in your training, your training squad are some of the best in the world. So you have a measuring stick every time you, you go out and perform. And, um, and I think that means even on your days where you kind of turn up, you're a bit fatigued, you can kind of keep up, you know, but you don't, you know that that's the best in the world and you know where you are and there's something about that that can build confidence but also help you relax in training as well i know when we've had joel filiol and some of his squad you know vincent lewis and maria mola and and they all talk about how great it is because they can just turn up and they don't have to think about pacing because they know they've got the best in the world right next to them and if they're working pretty hard they know that that's about the pace they need to be going for me i think is outstanding for you that you have that squad and Jeannie is just such a wonderful person as well that between the two of you I think there's even bigger and better things to come if I if I said to you what's been your biggest career highlight to date what do you what do you think it is I'm not sure because I think that like nothing really stands alone and it's all how it influences everything else which isn't the answer you want. You probably want like, like Yokohama was a big race, but I also think that now like I, there's 
like in the moment it was all positive because mm-hmm. like how like the like I kind of look at a race in both in terms of like the lead up the race itself and then also kind of how it impacts the future and which maybe isn't the way to think of a race like just think of the race as the race but I think that Yokohama made it a lot harder for me heading into Tokyo hmm. but then like Tokyo and that experience I just learned so much in kind of what I didn't want to do that it helped me have a great next five weeks hmm. and then so like each thing influences each other and doesn't stand alone at least in my world so um Yokohama was a big one but also like I've enjoyed most of the races this year. Yeah, I think, I I mean, that's a great answer. I don't think that's unreasonable to say. Somebody says, Greg, what's your career highlight? Well, I don't really have one. And my highlight is that I had 27 years as a professional and enjoyed every moment of the ups and the downs, you know, because, you know, you do learn a lot in the downs, you know, and and there's something really rewarding there. And of course, the highs, you know, when you do get to cross the tape first, it does feel very, very special, but at the same time, maybe you don't learn as much as what you do when you, you get your, the shit kicked out of yourself. So it's kind of the, the, the whole career is special. I think this 2021, that five weeks you put together, I think you'll remember for a long, long time. Uh, I think doing your, I think it was your debut 70.3, wasn't it, in Boulder? Yes, but the issue is that, like, I, I don't know if I'll remember it accurately because, like, <laughs> but that's the thing. I think I, like, even now, like, not tend to glorify it a little bit, but kind of. I mean, like, I think it was, what, like, I think in 32 days I raced, maybe 33 days, I raced six different times, and the Olympics happened to be the first race. But, like, it wasn't like every day was perfect, but I'll look at that like, wow, that was a great five weeks. But like, there's good parts, bad parts, like it's life. And even within every race, it's the same thing. And also kind of how I came off of that. It was, I was just exhausted. I bet you were. <laughs> so, I bet you. I mean, there was some travel involved there. I mean, I was oh, anou- announcing San Marin. That wasn't an easy place to get to from from anywhere in the world. But I mean, it's still an outstanding place, an outstanding race. And, you know, we, we watched your performance there on a road bike, like I said in the introduction, and, and you had the fastest uh, split amongst all the women there. That race to me was was something incredible. I think you just laid it down on a road bike and and then still held it together and had a really fantastic run. Just incredible. I mean, a week after winning in Edmonton in the grand final, this <laughs> is just but incredible with the strength. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, that's horrible, but because it was like, okay, like, like, again, it was my sixth race in as many weeks and like I remember actually I woke up the morning of the college couple to be perfectly honest I, I hadn't been sleeping great the whole week and I'd finally gotten a good night's sleep and I woke up like later in the morning I think we went off at 1 p.m so I think it was like 8 8 30 maybe even 9 a.m and I'm like I could go back to bed for another few hours but I might miss the race <laughs> I'm like oh goodness like like normally like like race morning like the the, the thing you want to be feeling is that you could go back to bed I mean then you know there really aren't any really nerves there which is great and I was like wow maybe this is like one race too many but like it was a great opportunity and I know getting like the opportunity to race someone like Danielle Reef doesn't she's one of those people who doesn't like come along every single year Uh, like they're kind of like a once in a decade kind of person so I'm like like this is a good opportunity so like just have fun with it like you just never know what can happen and so that was fun but (laughs) not expected I, I, I was thinking um after that, you know, six races in six weeks or whatever, you did have a little bit of a break, well, a little bit of a break to prepare for 70.3 worlds, but I'm wondering if you should have just kept racing every single week. (laughs) 
<laughs> to have yeah. the win at 70.3. I'm just kidding, obviously. Were you, after that block, you said you were fatigued, were you able to get yourself back to 70.3 worlds and feel like you were in a good place or was there still some fatigue that carried over? Um, I'm not sure, like, well, so I think... I think with the the tough, so like there are like different kinds of fatigue. So like I think physical, mental, and emotional and good races are great, but I feel like good races come with a lot of attention. Mm. And for like someone like me, I'm not a, like, I'm not a huge fan of all the attention. I like, I understand it comes with the territory and I want to achieve goals. And so I want the attention in some sense, mm. but it's also, it's exhausting. Like in, I think in Collins Cup, like there were 10 interviews that week that I did or 10 media appearances. And then I got back and I did some other things. And it's just like, just the extra stuff that comes with it. Both like, like when you, when you have a high, you're going to crash at some point. And so then I think like it was more like mental and emotional. And also like, you saw how much I was racing. You saw how much I was traveling by virtue of the fact that I was in different locations week to week. And it was COVID then, travel, right? Just sorry to interrupt. COVID travel, which is not was a lot harder than normal travel times. Go on. Well, it's just a little like, yeah, there's just a little bit more you have to do. And so like, I felt like I lost a lot of the base that I had built up. And so just like, I remember like I did, I think I did one three hour ride, one three hour ride in between Collins Cup and 70.3 Worlds. And, like, during, like, a normal training block, like, that's not a super long ride for me. But, like, that was the first ride over three hours I had done since, like, beginning of July. It was just, like, it felt endless. Hmm. So, I think more mentally than anything. But, yes, it was It was not – I think if I were to do six races again in that period of time, I'd kind of structure it a bit differently um, and maybe move my travel day, not the day after, but two days after the race so then i could do like get in the aerobic window the day after but i'd have to talk to my coach about that (laughs) (laughs) oh goodness what are you planning let's not do that again (laughs) i mean we'll have a look at it as a a whole i mean you 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 rank number four on the pto world rankings which again they don't take into account the itu races i'm not sure i understand that why but we can i'll have sam over olympic distance only they rank so like something like the la try recently that did, i don't think that counted for pto rankings um because like world triathlon series has their own ranking system i know but I, so- I i'm all about a professional triathlete is a professional triathlete this is my point of view um i'll have <laughs> sam renouf on the show in a couple of weeks everybody but uh who's the ceo of the professional triathlete organization i think we should be combining everything with olympics being obviously the, the number one then things like Kona Ironman, the next level down, and, and we can rank everything. But anyway, that's just my point of view that I think your world ranking would even be higher if we were looking at the World Series and the Olympics included, but it's not. But you still finished. What did you finish in the 2021 World Series? Second. Second in that series. You're fourth on the, on the, on the PTO. Definitely most improved. I think athlete for 2021, I don't think we need to discuss that anymore that it's just absolutely maybe maybe not i mean (laughs) who knows i don't know i can't think of anyone i think sam long had a great year he improved a lot uh, on the men's side but i think your year was really really outstanding let's have a look at a bit just take me through a a, a typical training day I, i know a lot of listeners are always like to hear a typical training day or a typical week for a professional triathlete what does that look like for you at the moment well maybe not at the moment because you're on off season but let's say that a week in between that massive block and 70.3 worlds 
Oh, so I can I can answer the week question a lot better than a typical training day. So our like my week is anchored around two active recovery days on Mondays and Fridays. And those are like, we're on our own. You can do whatever you want, pretty much. Just get ready for the other days. Except for their mandatory swims, which it's like optional active recovery day, but a mandatory swim. So, um, but I love the swims those days. So no complaints. <laughs> and then every other day we have at least one quality session. And so Tuesday is the quality run. And then we'll have like an aerobic swim and a flush ride in the afternoon. Wednesday is a quality swim first up. And then we'll have a little, like a two hour and a half, two hour aerobic ride and a run Thursday it's called a long ride and a swim and a run and then Saturday Saturday's Saturday's a fun day because there's like quality run in the morning you have a flush ride and then 3 p.m quality swim uh, that's I don't know why like 3 p.m on a Saturday afternoon is just oh. it's I, I, it's made <laughs> me better it's it's fun mm. um and then Sunday we have a long ride that's quality too and then normally run off of it and then that's it so it's very simple, like kind of, I know what to expect, but I love every day and for what it brings. Mm. Isn't it funny, those afternoon swims at the end of a week? How I remember, I remember living in, in Victoria, Canada, and Lance Watson, you know, he was helping coach me, and we had a good squad up there. And Sunday afternoons, they'd meet up at um, Thetis Lake for an afternoon swim. And for me, I was always so wiped by this stage of the week. And then say, oh, we'll just race around the island. And I'd refuse to race. And I said, look, I'll race if you put money on it because I'm not doing it. I'm not, you've got to pay me if you want me to race. So that we'd put like a, a loony or whatever it is, that's a dollar. And I'll be like, all right, I'll do it for the dollar. And uh, oh. but it was like I mean that's terrible, isn't it? It's, it's, I shouldn't be encouraging that behaviour. But I was so <laughs> I was so tired at the end of, the, of a huge week of training, and then we had to do this. I just wanted to flop in the water and not do anything. And I was like, ah, oh, we've got to do another hard swim. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but it's good to know that you can be like bought out that easily. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that cheap anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like a dollar is all it takes. Wow. <laughs> That's your appearance, be good to know. Yeah, like, well, inflation's kicked in a lot recently. A dollar back in 2002 meant something. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's kicked in that much. What are we up to, like maybe two dollars? <laughs> I know, seriously. Oh man, well, let's let's keep moving on because I know your time. I, I really appreciate you you sitting and chatting with me, and and I wish we were doing this in person, but I have flown to Florida, so I just missed you, but. Um, tell me, tell me about your, your team because you've mentioned your mum and dad and your coach Ian O'Brien uh, and, and Jeannie. Is it much more of a team? What do you have there in Boulder? Have you got a nice support structure around you? Yes. Well, so like first off, as you said, my parents they're not in Boulder, um, but then Ian and then I have a strength coach Aaron Carson who mm-hmm. is absolutely awesome. Then I have a chiropractor, a psychologist. Now I have a manager, and then also the training group. It, I'm really enjoying it. Well done. I'm impressed with all of that. You've built a really – Aaron is absolutely fantastic. Big shout-out to Aaron Carson, who strength trainer to – seems like most of the professional triathletes in Boulder now, but started with uh, T.O. And, and, and Rini and a couple of the other professional triathletes, and she's doing an outstanding job with you all. So 
that's fantastic. The fact that you're working with a psychologist, um, great to have somebody like that on your team. Absolutely fantastic in chiropractic work. Are you getting massage work or, or, or do you, you use your chiropractor? No, I use my chiropractor. I normally have like a 40 minute to an hour session each week, but like I'll credit him with like kind of saving my season because like I just went in like middle of March. I talked about my stress reactions and he's the one who caught them mm. very early because I see him at least once, if not twice a week. And I just like went in like typical and he's like, wow, like your right calf is really tight. Like, he knows my body. And so I'm, he's like, you know what? He's like, I'm just a little concerned because apparently like that can happen when like there's an off balance between the mm-hmm. rebuilding process within the bone. And he's like, let's just get an MRI, check it out. And sure enough, like it was like beginning of just a stress reaction. So I only had to take three weeks off of running, but like I didn't felt that. Um, <laughs> so like there is no way I would have been in Yokohama without him. No well, way. Well, what's his name? John Minnan. Mm-hmm. He actually, he, he runs. And so I'll see him at the track. So it's kind of neat. But he'll be there on Tuesday mornings at the track where we sometimes are there too. So it's a really small world in Boulder, as you know, it is. but it can have its advantages. That's awesome. And, and you said you're working with the psychologist. What, can you, what kind of things is she or he working with you on in particular? Do you guys work on visualizing and, or affirmations or are you working with how to manage anxiety and pressure? How, how, how do you approach different things? It depends on the week. I think like I've, I've worked with her since 2019 and we'll talk every week now. We kind of just do it over the phone mm-hmm. always. It's just 45 minutes and we'll talk about pretty much anything. Um, and some weeks it's a lot more structured than not. And sometimes like we're really working on something in specific. Some days I'm just like talking about how my week was. Like it's just a range of things. And um, But I think it's it's really helpful because when I started off, it was like, the, I was like, I was heading back, like I had got in 2019, fall 2019, I was still in college. And I remember like one week I'd be like, like she'd ask me like how my week has been. And like one week it was like, oh, it's great. And the next week it was like, oh my God, the world's ending. And the next <laughs> week it was like, oh, it's great. And then the next week again, it was like, oh my God, everything's falling apart. And so then like, I think just having that, like she's like, you know, I'm noticing a, like a trend that like one week you're doing great and the next week, like everything's falling apart. So like, let's work on that. <laughs> but <laughs> it's just kind of like learning that and learning, just like learning how your mind thinks and operates, I think is, it's helped me, I think. Um, mm. But I know it's not for everyone, so. No, no. And going into the Olympics, was she there for you in that kind of respect? Was she, it, it, does she play a role where, you know, when you're feeling nervous, anxious, is she a good sounding board for you in those kind of times? Yes, except for I made the mistake of I, I canceled on her. I never cancel. And so, and I realized that like, that's because I was so nervous. And, um, and so that's like one thing I learned in between, like before that, I'm like, okay, like in the future, like I was so nervous that I canceled. Cause like, I just like, I could, I did not want to talk about it. Cause I was just kind of freaking out a little bit. And so I like, now I've told her, I'm like in the future, like do not ever let me cancel. That's the only time I think I've canceled. In- <laughs> right when you probably needed it most. <laughs> yeah, which is, which yeah. is often probably how it like works. Um, yeah. But so like I recognize that and I can accept that I made that poor decision and I will not make it again. It's, it's interesting, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, you got you got to give yourself a little bit of... Uh, uh, room here because I think you know you're 23 
you're thrust onto the world stage. That there's a lot there, and then expectations and and all sorts of stresses kick in. I don't want to embarrass myself. All of these kind of things start kicking in. And uh, I remember seeing you at Scott Carpenter Pool actually, and maybe <laughs> maybe the day before you were flying out. And I and I remember thinking, oh, she, she's definitely feeling a bit nervous. And then I think I remember seeing Flora. Maybe two days later, she was still at the pool. She waited very very last minute. And she came over to play with the kids and she was just like so chill. Do you know what I mean? Like just, and I, I left going, okay, I think Flora is very, she's ready. Do you know what I mean? And, and it's hard for an athlete to get to that point. There's this uh, self-belief and I very rarely got there. So when I saw it in Flora, I was like, ooh, I, just, I went and put money on her. I never bet. But I was like, I, I did. I made, I put $20 on her and I, I made, I can't remember what I made, 120 or something. So anyway. And that's interesting at how like that, like hearing that story is just kind of amazing in terms of how much, even how we live and how we're operating. And you could read those signals mm. how many, like a week or two out, like before the race. And you could see that and how kind of like, we reveal so much in just our day-to-day behavior. Mm. If you read that in yourself, it's kind of like, okay, how can you change that? Like if I could have recognized that like you did, like how could I have changed things to help me perform better in that race? Like that's how I'm thinking about it. Um, Mm -hmm. But (laughs) No, I agree. And I I think a lot of it comes down. um, Alistair Brownlee talked about there's confidence and there's self-belief and they're actually not one and the same. One, we can go in kind of banging our chest with confidence. You know, it's a little bit of a bravo type thing with confidence. But the other one's a deep-seated self-belief that just helps you manage and massage that anxiety that wants to creep in. And that's because it's, it, it knows that you're, you're ready. And, and like you said earlier, there's the emotional, mental, and the physical and you can be there's a strong just self-belief i'm ready and, and when you have that you're kind of like okay all the boxes are ticked i'm going to go over here and play with these a one and a three-year-old kid because I, there's no anxiety now i don't need to rush home i don't need and that'll come i have zero doubt with you that that's coming and i've seen many of the greats nicholas spirig and and numerous others being incredibly nervous actually when we had nicola on the show a couple of weeks ago laura and i were both chatting about yeah remember how nervous nicola used to get (laughs) but she got more and more and matured into it and got more and more self-belief as she went along and and i have zero doubt that that'll happen for you as well as the years go on and the more you get used to being on big start lines because there's no better way you can be taught these things you can read books you can talk to your psychologist but i tell you what being on the start line at these big events time and time and time again experience is the greatest lesson you'll ever have you know this year alone look how you woke up in san marine and just said ah not even nervous i'm relaxed and yet i was at that press conference and i've never seen some of the greatest in the world be so stressed because they didn't want to let their team down and and the the anxiety level seemed incredibly high uh so you know already there your self-belief and your calmness was already growing so there's my two cents (laughs) well thank you i hope it comes but i also think that like dealing with the olympics was just like my least favorite thing here, like like going into it was how like some people would tell me like it's just another race it's just another race i think that that was like the most accurate way to describe it in that for me at least it was just another race because like the race was the only thing that was actually like similar to anything else mm-hmm. i mean like everything else like even like the the weeks leading into it there's just like so much energy and talk and comparison and just 
a lot of extra noise um, mm. that wasn't necessary, I think. And then like before the race, but like once the start, like finally, once the gun finally went off, like I was exhausted. It was like getting there. And then finally it was like <laughs> familiar. But <laughs> that was like, it took getting to the race. I, I, that is so true. And I was asked a, a question on a new app called Any Question. And I'm on that app. And, and I was asked by somebody, which was the hardest part for you mentally in a triathlon. And I thought about it and I was like, well, mentally in the race i don't really find there's anything that hard i'm prepared and i'm ready but i do struggle the mentally leading into the race you know managing the anxiety managing the energy because when you go to an olympics it's not just another race because there's all the other stuff that goes around it and so it's managing all the stuff around it that i struggled with the most but once the gun went off and you dive in the water like oh yeah i know how to do this part you know i know how to do the swim the bike the run the transitions that's that's no problem at all and all the fear sort of just goes away anyway let, let's let's wrap up the show a little bit i have two big questions that i want to ask you firstly what is one tip you have for people on how to optimize their lives well, I think it's kind of funny that you're asking a 23-year-old this because I feel like I'm still learning I think, this. No, I, I, I think behind your laughter and excitement and enthusiasm, there's a deep maturity there that I've, I've recognized for a long, long time. So I'm more than happy for you to answer this question. Well, so learning this year, I think, like listening to your body is really important. Sleeping and then also the people you surround yourself with. Mm -hmm. I think those are like, and those are three things. Like spending time, and I think maybe like the past two years has taught us that too. Like, just like quality time with quality people can be so important. Mm -hmm. Also, different things work for different people, so maybe that's not important for some people. But like, spend time with quality people, listen to your body, and sleep. Great answer. I love all of that, and and I think coming out of this. Like you said, coming out of this 18 months, year 18 months, and some people are still kind of coming out of it now, depending where you are in the world. Man, it's like the 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 human embrace, the interaction with others, the it's just I think all of us have been even made more aware of it. You know, the positives that have come out of the COVID is wow, we really need good people close to us. So that's a great answer. I really like that. All right, the second one. If you could sit and have a coffee with any living person, who would it be and why? There are a lot of people I'd want to have coffee with. The first few that like immediately come to my mind. Well, so first off, like a lot of like some of my friends who I haven't seen since March of 2020 or before. Mm. Um, but then like I have two teachers from growing up. One is my, one of my second grade teachers and then my seventh and eighth grade history teacher. I would love to sit down and have coffee and talk with them again. Like they've had, I feel like they've had a huge impact on my life. First of all, I want to thank them, but also like I just like to reconnect with them and talk with them again. Oh, we got to make that one happen. <laughs> we got to make. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to find people. Oh <laughs> man! Well, what are their names? And we'll put it out there. I'm sure somebody yeah. knows somebody. What are their names? What are you? I'll get to work on that. <laughs> what are your teachers' names? <laughs> well, so one was Miss Fernsler, and the other one was Mr. Nadler. Mr. Um, Nadler. All right. Well, surely you can find them. Because um, I think that's fantastic. All right, Taylor, what, what's next for you? You're on off-season now? You're on a break? Or, or what, what, what do we got coming up and what's your plans for early next year? Yes, I'm taking a break for the next, I think, two weeks, I think I get. And then I'll ease back into training and then try to like figure out next year. It's, it's a bit of strange year because the World Triathlon Series doesn't reopen. First of all, I don't know if you know, but it start the 2022 <laughs> World Triathlon season already started. So, like, 
We had we had the 2020 Olympics, the 2021 World Series, and now the 2022 World Series all in one year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> weird. All in 2021. Um, but like, so Yokohama, that'll be the next World Triathlon Series race, which is middle of May. Oh, wow. And then like, there's a huge break too. So I'm not sure. We'll see. And so are you looking at 70.3s again, some of the PTO races? What are you looking at? To fill in those gaps. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, like, so my focus will be the short course racing because the Olympic points hopefully will open up next year for Paris, which is Mm. kind of crazy, but also exciting. And then, yes, I would love, I'd love to do a 70.3 or like middle distance race a little bit more prepared, Mm -hmm. to be perfectly honest, Mm -hmm. both in terms of like, like I, I, (laughs) I did those 70.3s off of like very much olympic distance training so i'd love to be a little bit more prepared and just like have more nutrition knowledge probably mm. and a number of other things and and maybe a time trial bike are, are you like would you yes, change definitely. Bikes? Yeah. <laughs> who's your bike sponsor who have you got working with you with that i am will be working with trek oh brilliant okay Good work yes. with Mark Andrews and the whole team. I got to ride the Amanda in Abu Dhabi, yes. and it's amazing. Oh, yeah. Are you working with Mark Andrews and the team at Trek? He's, he's brilliant. I, I don't know if you'll get the chance to work with him, but say hello yes. if you do. Yes, I got the new bike. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this. But then he's like, oh, please call me to like learn how it all works. And I'm like, oh, wow. And he spent like 45 minutes answering all the questions I had because like, hmm. I want to pack it well. I want to like, know the bike. And, like, he answered every question I had and, like, told me all about it. It was amazing. Oh, he's brilliant. But that was – And he'll, I, he'll be at a lot of the big races too. I I still see him every now and then. Um, sorry for listeners. We, we're going on. But but Trek, Trek have been a gr- – they're very supportive of the sport of triathlon and the, and the professionals. And they, they don't just throw bikes at the athletes. They do come with a great support crew. And Mark Andrews leads the way there. So I just want to give a shout-out to him. But, Taylor, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for, you know, just sitting with me. I know you've had a busy day and you, you could be doing a lot more other things on your break than, than talking to me, but I really appreciate it. And just just sharing all your, your knowledge that you've gained over a short period of time, but it's had such an amazing impact. So, so thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be on this show. I feel like I've listened to it so many times that this is such a treat for me. <laughs> no, it's well, the honor's all mine, trust me. And I hope that we can probably, you know, continue to do maybe one of these a year and, and, and uh, progress over the next few years together. And, and I'm always here if you want a sounding board or anything else. Um, I love our conversations. So, you know, thanks for making this one happen again. Um, I just want to thank all the everybody for listening and sharing the show and just all the feedback i truly appreciate it keep it coming um you can find the show notes timestamps, links and all the coupon codes at bennettendurance.com forward slash media thanks a lot for listening to be with champions if you enjoyed the show your support would truly be appreciated you can visit the be with champions patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.